Welcome to this episode of the Fit Finance Sessions. My name's Charlie Redding, I'm the founder of Official Portfolio, and today's topic uh, is inheritance tax. Now, inheritance tax is a very emotive tax. It's a tax that really seems to grate on people, probably more than any of the other taxes out there. Because, of course, you know, you, you pay tax on the money that you earn during your lifetime. If you get that money growing, you pay capital gains tax on it. So for then potentially to lose, a, you know, nearly half of that to the tax man on your debt seems unfair and it does seem to grate on a lot of people. And, of course, it's a, it's a tax that uh, gets a lot of uh, press, a lot of people talk about it because of that. And, you know, even we've had Roy Jenkins, the former chancellor, saying inheritance tax is a, a tax paid by those people who distrust their family more than they dislike the in-round revenue. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure, but we'll kind of dive into that a bit today. Uh, they do say that the light at the end of the tunnel is the tax man holding a torch. So let's find out about whether that's true and whether there are some ways around inheritance tax without trying to be too clever and too aggressive. So let's kick things off. I've got Tom Senegals, Tim Webb and Henry Ellison here with me, all of which are financial planners at Efficient Portfolio. And then I've also got Toby Colton here with me, who's our senior power partner at Efficient Portfolio. So we're going to dive into inheritance tax and see how we can help uh, people reduce inheritance tax and what you need to be thinking about with it. So let's kick things off. Tom, could you want to just give us a little brief explanation as to how inheritance tax works so that people understand exactly what we're talking about and why it's such an important tax to think about? Sure. So inheritance tax is effectively tax at 40% on your estate, on your worldwide assets above a certain limit. Um, that limit is 325 um, 325,000, sorry, per person. Um, there's various exemptions and other things you can do to mitigate that um, liability, um, but there's also a lot of misconceptions about how you can go about doing that, and I think, I think that's a key factor. Okay, brilliant. So yeah, so 40% is a is a punchy tax, isn't it? I mean, if, if, you, if you have two children, it could be that the Chancellor is receiving a larger share of your estate than either of your children are. So... Uh, unless you want the chance to be your largest benefactor, it's worth thinking about how we can engineer our way around uh, some of, or all of it. Uh, you mentioned exemptions and um, opportunities to, to you know, like gifting and things like that. Toby, do you want to explain what sort of exemptions and opportunities there are available for inheritance tax? Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Dolly. Um, so, as, as you mentioned, um, inheritance tax is charged at a whopping 40%. But it's not all bad. Um, the good news is, is it's usually seen as, a, as an optional tax by, by some professionals in that there's so much you can do um, or so much prior planning you can do um, that you know you, you can move assets out of the estate, pass them on to loved ones and, and make sure they benefit without, you know, without that 40% erosion. Um, there are a couple of annual allowances which some people may be familiar with. Um, in addition to the £325,000 which, which Tom mentioned, one of those is £3,000 per annum per individual. Um, that, that is uh, the, the um, person making that gift, that, that's their individual allowance. But in addition to that, they can carry forward any unused allowance, bringing that total up to £6,000. But also they can gift £250 to, to an unlimited number of individuals. Is that every year, that £250? Yeah, uh, that, that £250 
is unlimited um, to, to the actual individuals receiving the gift. Correct. Um, but however, those two can't be used in, in conjunction with one another. So you can give the same person three thousand plus the two hundred and fifty pounds. I just just point that out. Um, there are also uh, there are different types of gift as well, which I think can cause some confusion sometimes. There's something called potentially exempt transfers, and that would be usually in the form of um, a cash gift or it could be a property. Um, but there are also chargeable lifetime gifts. Now, both of these can cause some confusion. They're both made in lifetime. Um, chargeable lifetime transfers can sometimes attract um, inheritance tax payable at the, at the lifetime charge of, of 20% rather than 40%. Uh, but, but a charge or a lifetime transfer would normally be where you're putting money into a trust, for example, wouldn't it? Yes. When you're giving yeah. money to an individual, you'd normally be a potentially exempt transfer, which is going to be people are going to be more familiar with. Yes, it? yeah, exactly. Yeah, so pets, as they're, they're abbreviated to, they're usually far more, um, far more commonplace and um, people probably relate to them because most of the gifts would, would usually be in the form of cash. Um, people have also heard about the, the seven-year rule. Um, that's not entirely true. There is something called a fourteen-year rule, a fourteen-year rule, um, which which might have put it that summer. <laughs> you sure be knocking them? No, I saw me there. Um, well, I th- but I think yeah, the, the whole point is that with the seven-year rule, you've you've got to um, uh, you've got to make sure that if you make a gift, a potential exam transfer, you've got to live for seven years after that gift for it, gift for it to be free of inheritance tax. Uh, it's a long or short term. Well, um, pretty much. I mean, so that the assets fall outside of the estate. If they don't, and you die or make the gift within seven years of death, then the whether it's a pet or a chargeable lifetime transfer, that will all get lumped together with your residual estate and that will then be taxed accordingly. Um, in addition to that, there, there are several reliefs available as well. So for business owners, for example, or for farmers, then they could find that um, the business property or now business relief um, or agricultural relief may be available for them as well. So there are lots of different things available. Um, firstly, if you plan now um, and take kind of a proactive approach, but but also depending on your on your individual circumstances, then then I'm sure there are things that we could do to help. Great. And are there any other exemptions, Henry, that uh, that spring to mind that kind of um, people should people aren't often aware of about? Um, yeah, I think there are a couple actually, and, and sort of sticking with Toby's idea of gifting. The first that I would mention is is gifting, but gifting from your income, so from your excess income rather than from the capital that you saved up that, that Toby was talking about. So if you're in that happy position where, let's say, you have £2,000 um, extra income every month, um, there's nothing to stop you giving that income away to whomever you want. Commonly, of course, it would be your children or grandchildren. Um, and then they can use that to start saving towards an ISA or their their um, junior ISA or indeed, of course, a, a pension fund, um, which is a pretty nice idea. Another thing that we that we use that exemption for actually is to is to to, to pay for life insurance policies. We'll perhaps we'll talk about a bit later, um, but it allows you to build up a policy of that nature um, and. 
all those all those gifted tranches of income fall immediately from your estate. So there's no worry about the £325,000 or the seven-year lifetime allowance. It's outside your estate straight away, which is a, which is a brilliant and, and possibly underused idea. The second one that, that springs to mind is, and, and this would be giving away, um, giving away lumps of capital, is that you're free to give away as much as you'd like to any political party. They don't seem to have removed this rule yet. I think in part, um, this is probably because political parties see themselves as charities. Um, and it, so, it is surprising they haven't removed this relief, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit shocked. That legislation's never come in. Yeah, that's right. I mean, at least I'm surprised the Tories haven't said we can have it, but the Labour Party can't, <laughs> or, or the other way around. Um, but actually, planning to give to charities is a really great thing. Um, the rule goes that if you give more than 10% of your net estate away to a charity, that your rate of inheritance tax actually falls from 40% to 36%, which is a great saving on the rate of inheritance tax you pay, and also gives you that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that you've given some money away to charity, which is nice. And I think the great thing about that is that you, you could probably, if, if the num- numbers were done correctly, you could probably get to a situation where your children end up inheriting not a lot less than they were originally going to, but the chunk of that money is going to a cause that's really important to you rather than just into the, uh, the coffers of the state that then who knows where it will end up. So I think you know, that's, that's a really a, a good and uh, important piece of the legislation to kind of think about because... You know, it means that you're doing some good as well as um, mm. not really costing your um, children much money. But one of the biggest problems that I see with people is it's difficult to really plan for inheritance tax because they quite often aren't sure. You know, they know what the inheritance tax would be today, but they don't know what that's likely to look like 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Tim, how have you helped clients kind of un- get a better grasp of what the inheritance tax problem it is going to be. It's going to be, yeah. No, so that was the normal, well, from, from my experience anyway, the, the start of that conversation normally comes from the lifetime cash flow forecasting, which um, those of you which have heard our previous podcast probably think, oh, he's, he's banging that drum again. Um, but it really is quite a powerful tool in which we can say, or illustrate just those things, Charlie, where you can say, well, this is the problem now, but actually in 10, 15, 20 years' time, for now, the problem's only going to get worse. Uh, assuming your assets are in good places, they're going to be... Um, uh, accumulating value and hence comes a corresponding increase in tax. So that normally is quite a good way in which you can start a conversation with off with the client and say, well, you know, this is the problem today, but it's only going to get worse from here unless we yeah. do something about it, which kind of then allows you to map out from that point the different scenarios and, and situations which we can look at, as you said at the beginning of time, manipulating your estate to make sure that that problem doesn't get worse if, if there is a problem at all by that point. Um, so that's, that's probably the, the, the main tool which would use to, to start to help people sort of see that there is a is a, bit, a problem today but maybe an actually even bigger problem exactly. 10 20 years from now exactly. at which point it's you know very difficult to plan isn't it because yeah. coming back to that seven year rule that toby was talking about you know if you start to come come to your planning late you may not have seven years to 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 play with yeah well i think it's quite going back to your first point works in the motive subject i think it's a very divisive subject and that some clients in general, we're talking down the pub, you know, when, as soon as you start talking to a British person about death and what's going to happen from that point mm-hmm. on, obviously, you almost defer it to the back of the bus and not 
not deal with it. Um, but inheritance tax is one of those things where the allowances are there, um, the exemptions are there, but as we've, as we've discussed, there's time limits on it. So it's about doing it early enough so that you can get rid of the problem um, in the first place. Sure. Um, so. Great. And uh, one of the things that quite often gets talked about in terms of planning to mitigate inheritance tax uh, is trusts. So, Tom, do you want to give me an idea of to how we can u- how you can use trusts to minimise the amount of inheritance tax that's paid by your loved ones? Sure. So you can gift up to the um, the nil rate band into a trust during your lifetime, um, and so long as you survive the seven years, then um, that money will leave the estate. Um, there are various different structures to how you put that money in and how you can potentially take some of it out. Um, and again, it's it's about receiving advice to know which structure would work best for you. Um, once it's in the trust, it's protected for your loved ones. Um, but there, there can be implications as to uh, if you want to give that money away but retain some income or you need flexibility over that income and it's just navigating your way through those decisions and that's something we, we help our clients with. And are trusts only really, for, the question I always get asked is, are trusts just really for the super wealthy? No, anyone can make use of a trust. Um, it's, it's not as expensive as, as you might think and if you compare that to the potential inheritance tax savings, um, it's a it's a significant trade off um, if you can afford to spend a little bit today to mitigate um, a large inheritance tax bill later. Then surely any any mom would want to do that for their children. Um, obviously, costs are dependent, but um, it's not as expensive as most people think, um, and it's relatively simple to to set up. And you said that there's certain flexibility around different trusts. Uh, so are you saying you can have your cake and eat it I suppose it, for certain ones you, know, you can give money away because with inheritance tax there's the problem you're not, there's a rule called a gift with reservation isn't there you can't give, mo- can't, can't give money away but still benefit from it you can't give a house away but still live in it you can't give a painting away but still hang it on your wall so with trust do, do they try to do they help you with regards to that gift with reservation problem? Yeah, and I think that's a key misconception is people think by giving their house to their children, they're um, getting one over the tax man. And, and if you're not paying a commercial rent, then it, it will still uh, fall within your estate. There's, there's lots of legislation around the gift with reservation rule, which will, um, can often fall foul of. Um, whereas gifting into a discretionary trust there are tools which can allow you to have your cake and eat it too um, some have uh, some are more expensive than others um, but some give you more flexibility um, but there are definitely I think the key problem is people think if I gift all my money away what happens if I need it but there are structures that allow you to gift it away retain an income some offer flexible some offer fixed income um, but yeah, it's, if you plan early enough um, and do correct planning and know how much you're gifting away, then um, yeah, you, you can have the best of both worlds. Okay, fantastic. And so you've talked about putting essentially putting money into trusts during your lifetime, whether it be into one that has the flexibility to give you income, or whether it's just ones that give you a straightforward gift. But um, what about leaving uh, money to trusts? Uh, at the end of your life, at, at, as part of your will, how is that beneficial as well? 
Yeah, um, whilst that doesn't save you inheritance tax um, in your lifetime, you would you would have to make gifts then. It's it's for future generations where that really comes in, into planning. So if you leave your residual state into a trust on death, that can be loaned out to future generations and not only provides potential inheritance tax savings, um, but crucially, whilst we're talking about inheritance tax at a 40% um, rate, divorces. Um, a lot more likely, and that's a fifty percent rate. So you, there's a there's a lot of reasons to be using that trust structure, particularly on on debt. Right. Okay. So you're kind of protecting um, the estate from you know, the son or daughter-in-law from hell turning up and trying to ravage your your hard-earned work, and so the trusts can protect from that as well as inheritance tax. Yeah. Sure. And, and it's it's not just the tax man that you've got to be worried about. It's. Um, uh, son or daughter in law from hell, but also any other third parties that might come along their way if they're set up in business and, and things like that. So, yeah, the, uh, a trust structure can really provide, um, whilst it provides some tax benefits, it provides a lot of protective benefits as well. Okay, brilliant. And there's, there's always lots of talk around pensions, but particularly in this inheritance tax space, pensions have been talked about quite a lot recently. Uh, Toby, what's you know what's happened over recent years that have made pensions more attractive from an inheritance tax point of view? So I think one one main advantage, Charlie, most pensions um, should be outside of the estate. I mean, some of the older retirement annuity contracts and things like that they they may still form part of your estate. So I can't say strictly all pensions would be outside of your estate. Um, but because of that, then they wouldn't be liable to, to inheritance tax. So they're actually a really um, efficient vehicle for um, for passing wealth down, especially now um, the taxation of pensions and, and how um, how a pension is taxed or is tax-free rather if, um, if indeed you die under the age of 75. Um, and if you die after 75, how is it taxed then? Then, well, if it's paid into a trust... Um, it would then be taxed at forty five percent on the lump sum. If it's paid to um, a nominated beneficiary, i.e., an individual, then it'd be taxed as their at their marginal rate if if he died after after the age of seventy five. So what you're saying is it's it's free of inheritance tax if they die before seventy five, but after seventy five, it's taxed essentially at the recipient's rate unless there's a trust yes. complication. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, but that's still so based based on the fact that that money has never been taxed from an income point of view, that's still, you know, other, you know, essentially you're saving one of the taxes, whether you think about it as being a saving of an income tax or saving as an inheritance tax, it's it's still quite attractive, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, tax point of view. and um, in addition to that, you get the tax relief on any contributions paid into the pension up until age 75. One thing that, um, that tends to get overlooked sometimes um, other fact that even if you're not working, you get tax relief up to um, your annual earnings subject to, to the annual allowance. But um, you could also pay in £3,600 into a pension up to the age of 75. Okay, great. Uh, and in fact, just tying the two things together, so you talked about trusts on, on death just a second ago and pensions uh, that Toby was talking about as well. But one of the things that one of the problems that you can see is is if somebody dies before seventy five, but leaves the pension running for their spouse to to spend as you would normally expect, and then the spouse lives beyond seventy five, suddenly your beneficiaries are going to have to pay tax. 
But by using trusts, you can actually eliminate that scenario, can't you? You can have the money pass into the trust on the first person's death and have the survivor access that trust, still spend that money, but then not have to worry about uh, there being an additional tax if they live past 75. So combinations of these two strategies can work really, really nicely. Um, one of the problems with trusts, though, is that they... Uh, they usually require the you know, money that you put in trust, you've got to live for the seven years that we talked about earlier on for them to be effective. Are there any similar sorts of mechanisms that don't require seven years? I mean, you actually mentioned the gift out of excess income, which doesn't require seven years, uh, Henry. But any other things, Henry, that, um, that don't require the full seven years to be effective from an inheritance tax point of view? And yes, there are, and uh, Toby, I think, alluded to them a little bit earlier. So, business property relief or agricultural relief schemes allow for for that for capital to be withdrawn, or indeed, actually, enterprise investment schemes, seed enterprise investment schemes, um, allow for capital to be invested, um, and then actually to fall from your estate entirely after two years. There's greater risk with these investments. Um, in many respects, the, the idea of certainly the EIS and CDIS is that you're helping to, to, to build up new startup companies. And so they certainly come with their risks. Um, and certainly the risk that you're taking probably can't be controlled in the same way as you may control just a, a regular investment into a trust. But the benefits of having the money immediately out, or sorry, not immediately, but outside of your estate within two years, also can't be, can't be overlooked. Okay, so investments into business property relief and agricultural property relief solutions take two years to leave your estate rather than seven years. Does that, what's the, how does the reality of that work? Does the people have to go out and buy a field or do they have to go and set up their own business? Or are there, you know, because quite often people in their 70s and 80s aren't going to want to do that. Are there ways that they can get business relief without having to actually physically go and set up a business. That's interesting. Of course you could go and set up a business. It would be a great way of getting BPR, business property relief. But no, there, there are a number of companies now who package essentially funds that allow you to invest into their schemes, which will fulfil the rules required for business property relief to be, to be granted to you. Um, Clearly, the different providers have different workings and mechanisms underneath these schemes and different investment strategies underneath these schemes. And so, so a fair degree of um, careful research and, and advice is, is, is probably the best way to go before, before taking a step towards that, just so you can limit and mitigate that risk that, that you're taking. Okay, brilliant. Uh, and so... I think what we, we, so we talked about how we can use trusts and trust linked to your will, so trusts and investments during your lifetime. We've looked about using your exemptions. Uh, we've looked at using pensions. We've talked about business property relief and enterprise investment schemes and all those, all those sorts of different things. So there's lots of different solutions. And in my experience, it's kind of that no one solution is right for, for everybody or anybody. It's actually layer upon layer, you know, usually a bit of investment into a trust-based solution, having trusts tied into your will would be a sensible thing, and then also maybe using some business property relief investments because each of them gives you 
certain benefits. Each of them have their certain drawbacks, but it then gives you a different layered approach so that you've always got the availability of capital if you need it. You've got some that require seven years, some that require two in case of unexpected happens. It's kind of a strategic approach from lots of different things, isn't it? But sometimes, regardless of all of those different layers, you just can't get somebody down to a zero inheritance tax liability. You just, you just can't get there, maybe because there's lots of property and property is more difficult to plan with than, than, than money. Um, what can you do if you really can't get the allowance, you can't get the liability down to zero? Tom, do you want to tell me about what, what, where does a client get left then? Um, well, uh, the first one that my clients um, always seem to be most in favour of is, is to spend the money. Because uh, <laughs> that way you can create memories with, with your family and your loved ones as opposed to just handing them cash. And I think, um, I think, like Tim said earlier, having the lifetime cash flow forecast can allow you to see how much can I spend um, particularly if you've got a large inheritance tax problem, you've probably got more money than you need, and therefore, um, yeah, uh, use that money. Don't become the richest man in the graveyard, or give it all to the tax man. Try and make as many memories as possible. Um, there are other systems you can go at, but they are quite aggressive. Um, uh, we can look into them for you, but it's it's very much. I think you would be wanting to be looking at exhausting all the other structures first. Are you talking about the Jimmy Cast or the Gary Barlow type approaches? Um, whilst I wouldn't know the ins and outs of those, <laughs> um, uh, I think they're more relation to, to income tax and other taxes. However, um, there are there are other schemes out there. Um, with anything like that, they can be contentious. There are some that are more. Um, less contentious than others and it, it, it requires specialist advice if, if you get to that stage but good problem to have at the same time and, but with these aggressive schemes is there a way of identifying which you know which, which ones you would go absolutely nowhere near or is there a general principle around for example um, there's DOTAS so some schemes have a DOTAS number don't they and I think that generally speaking you would avoid anything that's got a DOTAS number. DOTAS number is essentially saying that the revenue already identified this scheme as being you know, aggressive and therefore they're definitely going to look at it very closely. And there is a fair chance that you're going to have a problem further down the line. But the main also difference is that as soon as there's a DOTAS number involved, the revenue have the opportunity to say, well, we want the tax up front and... Uh, only once you've proved that the scheme works will we will we give you that money back. So they flip it on its head as opposed to saving you tax and then the revenue having to prove that uh, that the scheme didn't work to get their money. It's now flipped on its head. Personally, I think that the uh, the political landscape has changed so much in recent years. You'd be pretty crazy to look at much that's aggressive and anything with a DOTAS number for me would be um, you just be making life hard work for yourself um, uh, unless there's some very special circumstances like for example somebody's on their deathbed and at that point it might be worth a, a dice roll um, but other than aggressive schemes uh, you know we mentioned we've touched on insurance for a while but that's is that a way of dealing with the problem if you, if we can't get rid of the allowance or can't get rid of the liability any other way. Yeah. Tim, have you, how, how does that work? How does insurance help people 
with inheritance tax. Yeah, exactly. So I was bolt on to your point, Tom, and you want a much more simple way of solving an issue. Um, obviously, it depends on the size of the tax problem. The larger the size of the tax problem, the, cost, the much higher the cost of the insurance, and that might not be feasible for a client. But if you know if the client, for example, can't choose what colour they want their Lamborghini or Ferrari, and then it might you know might be easier to instead of spending the money, it's insure against it. Um, now, in terms of how that actually works, so let's just keep keeping numbers simple. Assume someone had um, a house, four hundred twenty-five thousand pounds worth, single, not married. £325,000 is the allowance. Clearly, there's £100,000 excess, tax at 40%. So, £40,000 is the tax bill. Essentially, you just set up an insurance policy that would cover that once said person has died, has died even. Um, logistically, the kids, assuming that's what's where it's going to go to, they would still have to pay the tax bill, but then we'll get the proceeds of the life insurance policy that will just negate the effect of the tax anyway. So, it kind of just is a plus one, minus one, or minus one, plus one um, equation, which um, is kind of how it works, which... And, do, and does the 100000 from the life insurance fall into the estate and make the tax bill bigger? No, so it, I suppose tagging on to the previous conversation about trusts, that would be paid to a trust, so that for that exact reason it wouldn't be part of the estate um, and then included in the tax computation anyway, because otherwise you, you are just um, exacerbating the problem. But it's an important so, point, isn't it? Because actually that isn't something that's set up automatically. You need to make sure that life insurance is written into trust. Yeah, Because exactly. if you don't do that... Then it will fall part form part of your estate, and then you're finding that suddenly forty thousand pounds of the inheritance tax bill is now exactly. disappearing as well. Exactly, you're making the problem much much worse. And actually, yeah. I've seen quite a few clients who have got the right idea. You know, they've set up the whole life schemes, um, but they haven't done that extra part. You know, the extra leg of it, um, set up the trust to make sure that that, that doesn't happen. Um, so, and in fact, I think insurance sometimes works even where. Uh, they're insuring sometimes more than inheritance tax liability because it can almost be seen as a way of saving money for that event, can't it? Because mm. if it's a guaranteed whole of life policy that dies, you know, you know, pays out on the second person's death, you know, as long as you keep paying the premiums, you know, it's definitely going to be there, and it's it's actually quite a good way of getting from a monthly uh, income, like for example, what Henry was talking about, we get out of excess income if you've got higher income. Let's say you've got a higher pension than you need to spend it's quite a good way of engineering that money into a lump sum that's free of inheritance tax later on isn't mm, it yeah uh, so, uh, yeah. so it can be very tax efficient planning mm. um, uh, well I mean I think inheritance tax for me is such a uh, it's a complicated area but there are so many ways that you can plan whether it's you know making gifts and you using your exemptions and allowances uh understanding through lifetime cash flow forecasting what the future liability is likely to be, then using trusts both during your lifetime and on death to, to minimise tax while still giving you some flexibility, making most of your pension allowances as well, maybe thinking about business property relief to, you know, if you don't have the seven years or you want to think about some different ways of, of doing it, and then and only then do you start to think about using insurance, whereas actually our industry is quite good at selling the insurance bit as the first step but for me that's generally paying the tax in advance so actually I'm paying the tax to an insurance company as opposed to the state so actually it should be about planning with all of these different tools you know you've got lots of um, strings to your bow so you can kind of plan with all of these different tools and only once you've maxed out on all of those opportunities do you then start to think about covering the rest with insurance and that keeps the costs down. Uh, so that's certainly what 
I see from, from my clients. But um, well, hopefully the Fit Finance Sessions on Inheritance Tax has given you an insight into inheritance tax and what some of the planning opportunities are that you can use to uh, you know, follow in Roy Jenkins' steps and make it a tax that you only pay because, uh, or you don't pay because you distrust your family because actually there's ways of doing it without dis- you know without handing all of the money over because of course that's the problem that people have isn't it they say well I you know I want to give this money away but you know what if Lily, little Johnny does you know meet the daughter in law from hell and she walks off with all my money during my lifetime you know that would be that would be devastating so that's the fit finance sessions today I hope you found it really useful uh, the next session we're going to talk about the difference between discretionary investment management and advisory investment management. That might sound like a very technical thing, but it's the difference between how most financial advisors are picking funds for you and doing their own investment approach, as opposed to them being truly independent, sitting on your side of the table and acting in your best interest. So we'll cover that next month. I hope you've enjoyed the session and uh, we look forward to uh, doing the the next one on discretionary versus advisory. Thank you very much.